0: Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have Rahul here from Connecticut. Hey, Rahul, are you excited for this week's Premier League
1: preview and review? I'm very excited. Move over, Jurgen Klopp. There's a new German in town. You had to
0: open it up with that much confidence, huh? I
1: had to. And it's based on on the confidence the team played with. So I'm excited, man.
0: Absolutely. So we have a lot to cover this week. And for the fans that have missed the blast from the past, we're bringing that back today. So why don't we dive into our EPL review, starting with the big German clash of Liverpool versus Chelsea and Jurgen Klopp versus Thomas Stuckel. So, Raul, why don't you take us through the starting 11?
1: Yeah, so, Mendy in goal, Espalicueta, Andreas Christensen, Rudiger in defense, Reese James, N'Golo Kante, Jorginho and Shelwell in midfield, uh, Mason Mott, Hakim Ziyech, and Timo Werner up top.
0: Yeah, good to see N'Golo Kante getting some back-to-back starts here. And just a quick note on Reese James. Do you know if Callum was injured or... Reese was just preference. So I didn't get a chance to watch the entire game. I've got to be honest with you.
1: I think it was a little bit of both. We saw hudson Adoy come off against Manchester United. And I think he had his uh, muscle, his thigh muscle or his calf, uh, one of them iced. And Reese James came on and did well. And I think uh, from a defensive point of view, Reese James offers a little bit more. Right. So I think both those reasons kind of factored in.
0: I personally was excited to see Ben Chilwell's name on the starting lineup. No disrespect to Marcos and the return of Marcos Alonso, but I've been a fan of Ben Chilwell since Chelsea signed him. I mean, it was a long transfer where we went back and forth. We paid a lot of money for Ben Chilwell, so it's good to see him making his name and pushing himself back into the starting lineup. Another one we want to talk about is Jorginho coming in for Kovacic. And personally, I think you know where my heart lies with Jorginho. I don't want to talk too much about it, but I want to get your thoughts on him versus Kovacic, partnering Conte.
1: I thought Kovacic would play this game, but Jorginho came in and i uh, we've said it a million times. He has his issues with defending, but he helps us control tempo of the game and control the passing and and just the overall... Uh, ability to find players uh, running in behind the defense, which was the clear tactic in this game. So I think that's why he was... Prefer-
0: okay, I will hold my thoughts and opinions so we dive deep into the game. <laughs> but why don't you take us through the Liverpool eleven?
1: Yeah, so Liverpool, I mean, we've known about the injuries all season and everything going on, but they played Alisson and Goal, who returned after uh, missing a previous game. Alexander Arnold, right back; Fabinho, Obach at centre backs; Robertson at left back; Thiago, Jorginho Wijnaldum, and Curtis Jones in midfield; and Mohamed Salah, Firmino, and Mane up top.
0: So a strong as lineup as they could possibly play, given some of the injuries they have. Kabak making his I think third or fourth appearance now, so good for the young man to continue playing. I believe he's going to get an opportunity potentially to stay, depending on some of the injuries and all that's going on. So. Do you have some information on the game and run us through it?
1: Yeah, so we started off pretty well. Uh, Liverpool had, I think, an early chance with Mane running in behind. But apart from that, we snuffed them out. Uh, you know, the likes of Firmino, Salah, Thiago were struggling to get into the game. And that's credit to us and the system that we applied. Um, and throughout that whole game, and in the first half, second half, we always were a threat running in behind their defense and, and exploiting the space that Alexander Arnold was leaving or Robertson was leaving on the other side and our wing backs were running in. And uh, Timo Werner, who was rested against Manchester United specifically for this game, uh, we saw why that was the case because his pace, I mean, I've never seen him in the Premier League exploit a defense like he did in this
0: So like I said, I didn't watch the game, but I did get the notifications on what was going on throughout the entire match. And Timo Werner seemed to have scored in the 24th minute, if I'm not mistaken, Rahul. And I was excited texting you going, oh, it's a goal. But I think our good old friend and from our previous episode, VAR comes to the rescue for Liverpool. Now, I looked at it and I struggled quite a bit. I don't want to get, get into a VAR rant here, to be honest with you. But I struggled quite a bit to understand how that was offside. But want to know what you saw in that game.
1: That is never offside because the part of the body that was offside, if it hits in there, it's going to be called a handball. So you tell me what rule this <laughs> is that if it's a handball, you're also still offside with that part. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh but you're absolutely right. I mean, he ran in behind, Allison comes flying in, he he chips it over him, and then really just has to knock it into an empty net, which he does. But when luck isn't going your way, which it hasn't with Timo most of the season, it's ruled off and his efforts uh, you know, are are not fruitful, but he doesn't give up, like we've said, a million Friend. times and continue to do continue doing the right things and, and you know could have scored another one goal or two goals.
0: I was actually going to add that is even though that happened, Timo is the kind of guy that he does not quit. He just keeps going and going and going. Yes, it's unfortunate because I think he's coming back, quote unquote, into a little bit of form, not necessarily what we're expecting of him, but a goal against Liverpool would have really, really helped him lift himself and potentially springboard from there. But Hopefully, you know, he got the opportunity. He saw that he keeps making those good runs and, and it builds off into something.
1: Absolutely. I think he's seeing and feeling that it's getting better for him. And he said it in some of the interviews is where he feels a little bit sharper. He feels better overall coming into these games and playing under Tuchel. Uh So long may that continue. And uh, we saw throughout this game that, like I said, his pace, his ability to run in behind and make space for others caused Liverpool issues throughout
0: the night. So would you say that in that first half, we were probably the better side from what I'm gathering over here and putting enough pressure on them, the goal came, right? And this is a player that gets a lot of flack. He gets a lot of questions, a lot of criticism. And for some players, I always say rightly so or wrongly so, whatever it may be, but this particular player, I think, keeps stepping up probably is the right words, keep stepping up in levels progressively with each match. And now we've gone from one manager to another manager, and people were talking about what do people see in him, what does he bring to the team, and now the second manager is seeing the same thing or at least picking him week in, week out, and this is Money Mason Mount. So, Raul, he scored the goal. Why don't you take us through it?
1: Man, this, this guy, I mean... We've been saying, comparing him to Neymar, and, and this finish and this move was worth that comparison. Uh, first of all, I'll start off with that ball from N'Golo Kante in behind the defense. Um, and we've been talking about Timo Werner's pace, but Mason Mount did really well to run onto that ball, uh, cut in and show Fabinho uh, you know, his pace and his ability to run by him, and then find the finish. I remember texting. I think it was might have been you or or Nikesh, and I just said Phil Foden, who Mason Mounts here, my friends.
0: Yeah, and I th- actually, I think in one of the episodes we discussed that very statement versus Mason Mount versus Phil Foden versus Jack Grealish. I mean, a bunch of players were listed for that midfield position, and the one thing I said, and I will stand by this till I see something change, is the work rate that this guy brings to any team he plays in, any formation he plays in if you followed Mason Mount's career with when he first made his professional debut under Lampard himself at Derby County, he's always been that kind of workhorse player and up and down, up and down the field. And it just goes to show he he kind of turned on the acceleration there a little bit to get past the defense and slotted into the far right corner.
1: He did. And he even said it after the game that he knew he had that little bit of pace to beat Fabinho. Uh, And he took advantage of that, and that shows you the awareness and uh, the intelligence of the player to know in the moment that I can cut in and and take him on, feel confident to do it, and and then score, which, I mean, deserved goal. Again, once once again, it was some individual brilliance that gets us the goal, which has been our concern with the attack, but taking nothing away from it, uh, a beautiful goal and a beautiful celebration. Uh, after that. What do
0: you make of that celebration? What do they call it?
1: Well, they call, he did a couple of celebrations in one, but <laughs> the dance move was called the Frankenstein, I believe. I want, And then he did, he did the, he said after the game, it was some anime move uh, with Ben Chilwell.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about that one a little bit. So the move was actually inspired for lack of a better term from Kurt Zuma. Who watches, apparently watches a lot of anime while they traveled between the different clubs and stadiums and Europe and all that. So interesting to see how they get inspired off of each other and what excites them as they go through. I think it's nice that they can take this off of each other and form that team chemistry and that team feeling, which is something we're missing. Now, I want to roll it back a little bit and discuss the moment of brilliance or individual brilliance as you touched on there. I'm beginning to become a little bit concerned that a lot of our goals in the final third or the 20 meters as Tuchel refers to it is really one player pulling something out of nothing going back to the Giroud overhead kick or going back now to the Mason Mount cut and you know score by himself what needs to happen to allow the team to be more cohesive where this can potentially change into team goals And also maybe score more than one goal per game because we're kind of struggling in that area.
1: We are, but I mean, if we're keeping clean sheets, we really only need one or two goals. But no, I agree with you, and I've said it. uh, I would like us to score more than two goals, which we haven't done since Lampard's final game, and that was almost two months ago. Uh, So that is a concern, and when teams finally start figuring us out in our defensive shape, we will concede a goal or more and so at that point, we will have to start scoring more. And the hope is that by then, some of our attacking players and our attacking play overall starts gelling together a little bit better. Uh, but in the interim, these individual goals and uh, the crosses that we put in uh, are helping and working out.
0: Let's talk about another player here on the opposite side of the field because it's very easy for us to. Praise people like Mason, Giroud, Callum to some degree, and what they bring going forward. Now, we've talked a lot about Tuchel and how well we have played as a defensive unit. Now, I've argued part of that is down to the shape, but there are some individual players that need to be mentioned, and there is one man that we posted on an Instagram account this week, and he has been immense, especially since Thiago Silva has been out with a little bit of an injury, and that is... Andreas Christiansen. Now, why do I bring him up? Yes, he's been brilliant, but he's also a player that does not get a lot of mention in these games. He's a player that comes in, does his job, and then gets out because another player, in this case Silva, Silva may come back into the starting lineup. So I want you to talk a little bit about Andreas Christiansen and how you feel about him, because you were a little bit, maybe just a little bit more than a little bit critical of him earlier in the season, but
1: Maybe he's proving his doubt is wrong. I want to get your opinion on that. He is a player that divides opinion. I think that's pretty obvious from his time at Chelsea. He's been fantastic under Conte in that first or second season under Conte. Um, But then he's kind of fallen out of favor and doesn't perform well in a back four. But Christensen is built to play in a back three. We've just got to be honest, and especially in that center Uh, central center back position is what I'm trying to say, which is what he did in this game. And I put my hands up and I'll say it. I was very critical of him after Aston Villa. I was critical of him against Liverpool in this same fixture back early in the season, but he came out and performed and his uh, confidence, his bravery, his ability to be quick and read the game faster uh, than any other player on the pitch Ultimately, help him put in a man-of-the-match performance. That's that's the highest praise I can give him
0: for this game. Yeah, you've jumped ahead and already selected your man-of-the-match. We'll get to that right at the end of this segment. But let's flip it around and talk about Liverpool for a few minutes. I think that was their, for this particular game, fifth loss at home in a row. Which, you and I, thinking back to maybe 2002, 2003, when we were really getting into the Premier League, I've never heard of all the Liverpool teams in history losing five games at home in a row. And Liverpool have had some good teams in history. You talk about the teams that contain Steven Gerrard, Jamie Carragher, then you've got Fernando Torres. Later on, you've got Luis Suarez. I'm thinking of names like Xavi Alonso. I mean, they've had some good players in their teams and never have they lost five games on the bounce at Anfield. Now, fast forward to this Liverpool team who won the Premier League last year and the Champions League the year before, what is going on with Liverpool? I'm not sure how to answer this.
1: That is the million-dollar question, isn't it? And uh, you and I, before this game, you know, the Chelsea-Liverpool game, we're a little nervous because at some point we're expecting this Liverpool run to end. And we felt, what other way for them to end it than against a team that is in and around them fighting for the top four, and with their players coming back, it just felt like this was the right moment for them to end it. But they went a whole 90 plus minutes with one shot on target at home. Wow. Yes, they, con- they conceded the goal, but even then, it was just like it w- their defense doesn't seem to be the problem, which is where the injuries are. Right. It's the attack, which is just done at 180 and just stopped performing.
0: Yeah, you would never imagine with Mohamed Salah, Mane, and Firmino that they would fall apart. And fall apart maybe a harsh term, but fall out of form all at the same time. It's kind of scary to think about it a little bit because, again, it's the same team. When you talk a little bit about recruitment, right, we talked about Diego Jota, which was really the only big-name quote-unquote forward that they signed. Now we know they signed the guy from Bayern Munich that was supposed to be revolutionizing their midfield and spraying passes and all that. He did have some injuries and that's Thiago Alcantara as well. But going forward, they really didn't have a second or third option of the quality of that front three. Now Jota was supposed to be that guy. He went out injured. There was a lot of talk and an ex-Liverpool player in Stevie Nicol, who actually is a pundit for ESPN, said, "Who is their backup choice when one of these three players gets injured. Now, at that time, they didn't have Jota, obviously, but it was Origi. And yes, Origi has turned up in big moments, but week in, week out, when the team is struggling, he doesn't seem to be the guy that has that caliber to step up and really cover these guys. And and yeah, I think you're right, because defensively, if they've got injuries, it's not like we scored four, five, six goals. We scored one goal, and they just couldn't retaliate. And I think that's a concern
1: for all Liverpool fans
0: out there, don't you? Mm-hmm.
1: It has to be. I mean, it was five after that game. We now know it's six because they lost again. Um, and I don't know, man. It's it's just you can't put your finger on it. Jurgen Klopp insist on playing his 4-3-3 with the high line, which we knew as Chelsea, and exploited throughout the whole game. And never once did he say, guys, just drop back a little. Let Chelsea not find that space in behind us. And then we try to attack them and try to do something different. That didn't happen. He takes off Salah in the 62nd, 63rd minute, which is a big, big statement because you're saying to the rest of the squad and your star player, I'm not happy with what you're doing on the field. Um, but then you're also basically taking away your biggest weapon and putting in Jota, who all all respect to him. who's He's been very good, but he's coming back from three, four months. A long
0: out. injury, yeah.
1: So he's not going to suddenly turn it on and score a goal and get you back into the into the game. So apart from the injuries and the overall issues at home, I think there is something going on behind the scenes that we're not seeing or aware of. And maybe the players have just stopped listening and performing for him, which is weird because this is the guy that Helped you make history at this club?
0: Rahul, let's be honest. You and I sit here and say there's something wrong behind the scenes. We said that about Manchester United. They're second in the league. We said about Manchester City. They're first in the league. So I think sometimes things happen where, yes, they're probably behind the scene, but it doesn't mean it's over. The big question we need to talk about is, is Liverpool going to make top four? And I don't mean that from a Chelsea perspective or from a selfish perspective. I think now looking at the table, they're sitting in ninth and Again, they lost again today. So it's almost like things are not looking up. Where do they go from?
1: Uh, honestly, I don't know. I mean, I think they sit in eighth. But there is an opportunity for them to drop down tonight because they sit ahead of Villa, who have two games on them. They sit behind West Ham, who have to play uh, this game week. They sit behind Tottenham, who have played one less game than them. They've sat behind Everton, who've played two less games than them. So the concern for them is once all these teams catch up and if they win their games, they may be at a position where they're five, six, seven points off top four. And at that point, you're thinking, we're not going to make it into the Champions League. Do we even want to be in Europa League next season?
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where and, – and Chelsea have gone through this, for anybody listening, so it's not like we're trying to pick on Liverpool. Raul and I have learned our lesson when we picked on Manchester City and Manchester United, we were burnt. But it's one of those things where Chelsea have gone through this, and it's almost like maybe if we don't get into Europe, yes, there's some financial implications, but maybe it's a good thing because we spend time to rebuild the team. Obviously, now you're seeing that injuries have hurt you and in a bad way. You've signed some center backs, so you know you may be covered there. But maybe they need to look at in the off season what they're going to do about backup forwards, not necessarily just rely on the front three. Because the front three have been prolific for three or four seasons now. And maybe they're just tired of each other, and that's just my analysis. Or people have kind of figured out how the three play together, so it gets a little bit more, uh, for lack of a better word, now we know what's going to happen. So they had to go out and recruit and maybe figure out how to kind of interchange these guys to freshen it up for for how to bring something fresh to Liverpool. So I think that's really all we can say about Liverpool. But I know you are our official stat man here at the Premier Chelsea. You've got some information you want to share with us.
1: Yeah, I love sharing these stats when we win because they're they're positive and good. So uh, Mason Mounts now scored five Premier League goals. Uh, Three of those five have come under Thomas Tuchel in the last eight Premier League games. Uh, compared to just two in 18 under Frank Lampard this season. So a huge improvement in the output from Mason Mount, apart from the the running and the hard work and the pressing that we've been talking about. He's added goals to his game, which is very exciting for us to see because that was something we always wanted from him.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. I think he's kind of that player that can be a 10 to 12 goal from midfield kind of player.
1: Absolutely. Uh, The other stat I have here is Chelsea only considered two goals in 10 games under Thomas Tuchel in all competitions. And that is the same return uh, we had under Jose Mourinho in his first spell. So shades of prime Jose. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: a little bit early to make those connections. I would say Tuchel has been brilliant defensively. We've already touched on we need to score a little bit more. So... Things will come, but the problem that we had early on this season where we were leaking goals, so that's a good stat to note. Two goals in 10 games, that's, that's pretty, pretty impressive. impressive.
1: It is, and this one supports that even a little bit more because now Mendy has kept 12 clean sheets in 22 Premier League starts, which is about 55% of the games he plays. So half of the games he's played, he's kept a clean sheet.
0: Yeah, that's pretty impressive. I think it was a good move in us bringing in the goalkeeper.
1: Absolutely. And even though we've spoken about his issues with playing the ball out uh from from, you know, defense and into midfield and stuff, he does what he's supposed to, which is save the shots and save, you know, us from conceding goals. So, uh, all in all, it's been it's been a good month and a half under Tuchel. We've got to admit it. Uh I know we're a little critical on the attacking end, but He's faced Manchester United, Liverpool, Atletico Madrid, Tottenham Hotspur and not lost a game.
0: Yeah, and to be honest with you, I think any other manager we would be jumping out of our seats in joy. I think we have to be subconsciously a little more critical because he comes in after Frank Lampard. And I think maybe that's where the sore spot is. Now, is this helping get over Frank Lampard? Absolutely. Will we forget Frank? Never. We'll never forget Frank. But things like this are going to help us ease into having a good, good career with Chelsea.
1: Absolutely. And it helps the players realize and buy into what he's trying to build. And the fact that we've seen a whole array of players play, and it's not just my 11 and everyone else kind of just makes a couple of appearances. He's changed things around. Ben Chilwell is a perfect example who was out for a while and then plays two massive games. I mean, Manchester United and Liverpool.
0: Yeah, it's really, really something where I think it's a good thing when someone comes in from the cold, similar to Alonso, obviously, and Jorginho and Kovacic, and they perform. So whether or not it's his training that's keeping them fit or it's his man management, which you and I have heavily criticized as well, but his man management is to keep the players interested so when they do come back into the fold, they they know what's going on and they don't feel left out. I think it's something that's building to potentially be good, but... Again, I'm going to be a little bit cautious just because it's following Frank. And let's see where this partnership takes us.
1: Absolutely. I know there have been a lot of shots about now Chelsea and nailed on to top <laughs> four. Um, I think that's a little bit early for us to claim that. But everything we've seen points towards that. And I hope and pray and keeping my fingers crossed that we do uh, solidify our position in the top four.
0: Man of the match for this game, are you sticking with Andres Christensen?
1: I am. It's it's an obvious choice and one that is deserved.
0: Good. Okay. For me, I'm gonna stick with Money Mason Mount. Player that gets a lot of criticism, but I think he he deserves that one for the moment of brilliance that he had.
1: Absolutely. I mean he has been a man of the match a few times, so <laughs> so he deserves it. But I do want to give a couple of shout-outs before we move on. Uh, We did a a little poll on the day of the game, the Chelsea Liverpool game, to see what people thought would happen. Uh, And so a couple of people sent in the exact uh, scoreline that happened in the final game. So the first one is "Is boy gets the shout-out, as well as Sahej Maskey. So both of them nailed it 1-0 to Chelsea. And I have to give you a shout-out, Jackie, because you predicted this perfectly well on our last episode.
0: You know it's funny is actually predicted that Timo Werner would score the only goal of the game, and he did, but it was ruled out by VAR. But happy that Mason got that one, so we're good over there.
1: We are. So uh, why don't we move on to some of the fixtures from this past weekend?
0: Yeah, so we already covered a lot of the issues going on with Liverpool, but we were talking about them losing five, and now you said six. They ended up losing one nail to Fulham at home. There's not much to talk about, to be very honest with you. We've covered all of it here. It's just a big concern, and it's something that Liverpool really need to sort out quickly if they want to continue playing in Europe like we've touched on. Now, the big fixture that I wanted to talk about was Manchester City. Versus Manchester United, and you know that is a massive, massive, massive fixture because it's the Manchester Derby, but it's also first versus second. And for the longest time, we were sitting here going, Manchester City are going to run away with the league, And, and they still might, just depending on you know results in the next few weeks or whatnot. However, this game, and I don't think, I really don't think anybody would have predicted it, unless you're a true diehard Manchester United fan. But this game ended up being Manchester United two. Manchester City nail, and I was honestly shocked. the game kicks off, and within two minutes Fernandez I'm sorry it was Bruno Fernandez scoring a penalty, and all credit to them they earned that one and really, really controlled that first half. They came onto to Manchester City like a house on fire, but city did settle and eventually control the ball like no other, and in the second half, Roberto Carlos oops, again, here I go. No, it's Luke Shaw, who seems to be playing like a prime Roberto Carlos, scores that second goal. And this is off the, you know, City having most of the ball, most of the possession. But in all seriousness, I think Manchester United really, really deserved this because they were highly organized, defended well, and really, really took the opportunities and chances when they came. Now, Dean Henderson, another name that one of our you know, guest was talking about when he came on here as potentially making himself the United first choice, played a second game in a row because David De Gea is out on family leave. It's interesting and something we need to talk about because Southgate was in the stadium watching and it could be, could be a potential that Dean Henderson could be number one, if not number two for England. And I want to get your thoughts on everything we've covered so far. And then I have one more question for you before we wrap up the Manchester City, Manchester United section.
1: This was a shock, like you said. (laughs) I mean, no Manchester United fan could say they saw this game going the way it did. But that's credit to Ole and the Manchester United squad for getting their tactics, getting their formation, and their overall game plan spot on. I mean, they gave City no space in midfield onwards. And uh, it just... City could have still be playing and they wouldn't have scored. And that's weird to say about City because you know at some point they'll find a goal. Uh, so, massive, massive congratulations to United and uh, Luke Shaw, Roberto Carlos, I don't <laughs> even know the difference anymore, uh, but he did very well and I think he was one of several men of the match uh, nominees for that game. Uh, Dean Henderson, I think, has done well the last two games he's come in and if I'm David De Gea, I'm watching from home and, and playing with my newborn baby, but side of my head I'm yeah. thinking... Is my spot under <laughs> under um, threat? Uh, but no, hey, good for Dean Henderson. And this is the opportunity he's been waiting for all season. So uh, he's got to show his, his value and his potential.
0: So I was watching Sky Sports after this game. And Roy Keane and Mikai Richards and players like that that are not pundits were talking about Manchester City just look tired which is kind of an interesting statement, Rahul, because you and I have talked about how well Pep has rotated his squad and managed his players, especially given COVID and game week in, week out and midweek games and whatnot. So for them to have that analysis of Manchester City just looked tired, I thought was a little bit strange, but wanted to kind of get your thoughts on whether Manchester United were just that good or Manchester City were just that poor or tired, whatever you want to call it. And is this a Manchester City wake-up call?
1: I think it is, and it's not because City were so bad that they needed a wake-up call. I think it's more to do with City just realizing that we can't just turn up game-to-game and expect to win, especially in the Premier League. So I think from that aspect, it is a wake-up call, but I also think it's a scary thing for the rest of the league because now Manchester City have lost that streak of, you know, I think it was 21 games in a row or something like that. and so now they go, they just restart that clock, and we know Manchester City once they start rolling the wins, they just keep coming, and we only have about ten or eleven games left in the season, so that's scary uh but Manchester City were dominating that game I mean if they get a goal from somewhere, this game completely turns on its head turns on it on its head uh but that just didn't come, and Manchester United found the out. second and and that helps them you know, keep their beliefs. So I didn't think they looked tired. I don't think there's anything to worry about from the City perspective. I just think these things happen, especially against a good team, good players for Manchester United.
0: Yeah, and that win for Manchester United, like we talked about, I don't think it derails City by any means. They're still 11 points clear at the top of the league, if I'm not mistaken, which it's quite a bit of games that they would have to lose before anybody would catch up to them. One more game I do want to talk about before we move on is Tottenham Hotspurs versus Crystal Palace. And I think on paper Tottenham should have won this game and they did end up winning 4-1. I don't want to talk about the whole game overall. I want to talk about one man, and that is Gareth Bale. So Jose Mourinho has been very, very critical of this man. But in the last five or six games, I think Gareth Bale has has been involved, whether it's an assist, a couple of goals, a goal, he has been the man in form for Tottenham and probably at the right time in the season. Also, another man that we need to talk about, he didn't necessarily participate in the goal scoring, but that's Dele Ali. And a lot of people talk about Jose Mourinho freezing them out or being harsh on them, but it's almost like they've come good when he needs them the most. And I want to get your thoughts on those two men right there because it's at a point in the season where I think Tottenham Hotspurs were sitting in 10th, a few weeks ago and now they're back up to sixth again the premier league is nuts this year the amount of points between i think it's fourth and 10th is probably like six or seven points which is scary to think about because you're going a couple of losses you're way back down there you're going a couple of wins you're coming back up so but let's talk about bale and ali for a minute
1: they've been waiting for this opportunity like we've we've spoken about jackie and uh mourinho's finally given them that opportunity and they're proving him uh, wrong for leaving them leaving them out from the beginning. And credit to the players for not uh, giving up or just you know not caring. Uh, they've come back and performed and performed so well that I mean, Bale scored twice I believe today. Today, that's right. Um, Deli Ali didn't even feature and they didn't need him, but he featured in the Fulham game and he provided the assist. So this is the Tottenham squad that we were you know excited by as, as just the Premier League fans that we are uh, and now it's coming to fruition and a shout out to Harry Kane and Son who break I believe a 25 year old record for the most goal uh, combinations in a single season so that in itself is crazy that they break a record and we're not even through the season yet.
0: No, those two together have been brilliant this season. It's obviously credit is due where credit is due. But now you add on players like Bale and Ali, it's something where they are making their final push for Europe and potentially even top four. I'm not trying to jinx Chelsea because obviously we are the Premier Chelsea, but they keep pushing and it's going to be a grand slam finish for that top four in European places towards the end of the season.
1: Absolutely. And we've said before Tottenham needed goals from somewhere else. Uh, and Garrett Bale stepping up and doing the job and uh, that will only serve them well for the next two and a half. Three mm-hmm. months.
0: That's correct. So now I think you wanted to move on and cover the Chelsea women's squad.
1: I do. And they've been away for a little bit. I believe they took a break for uh international tournament. It was the, she believes cup. So some of the players went and participated in that, that was actually here in Florida in, in the U S. So, uh, now they're back, the Chelsea women, and they played against Atletico Madrid this past week in the Women's Champions League. So we did touch on this game a few weeks ago in a previous episode. Uh, Chelsea win the game 2-0. Sophie Ingle picks up a red card in that first half, gives away a penalty. Uh, Berger pulls off a save and, and you know keeps the game at 0-0. Halftime, we come back, score a penalty ourselves in the 58th minute. <laughs> Uh, And someone we've touched on quite a bit on this podcast, Super Fran Kirby makes it 2 0 in the 64th minute. And we see it through and did concede an away goal. And we go into next week's uh, second leg, 2 0 up.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Especially these Champions League nights, it's amazing to see when we have these opportunities, especially with red cards and penalties, and the team continues to persist. I think I said this maybe four or five episodes ago that the mentality. And the team spirit of the squad is second to none at this point, I would say.
1: You're absolutely right. And just keeping on that mentality, a few weeks ago, they lost that record of most right. uh, you know, consecutive wins or undefeated streak in the women's Super League. Uh, but they've now created a new record, which is they beat West Ham 2-0 this weekend, goals from Sam Kerr and Beth England. And that means Chelsea are uh, the first team in women's Super League history to win five consecutive away matches without con-
0: Yeah, keep keep breaking the records ladies you're doing a wonderful job.
1: Absolutely. So that's the quick update on the Chelsea Women's team and like I said they played their second leg against Atletico Madrid in Monza, Italy due to the Spanish COVID regulations that games being played in Italy and hopefully they can secure Uh, Qualification to the next round. All right. So that
0: covers what we were going to talk about with regards to the women's section. Now we need to talk about another big game coming up tomorrow. That is Monday. It is Chelsea versus Everton, which is going to be another tough, tough game. And they seem to be coming thick and fast for Chelsea lately, which is going to be something that we're going to have to pay attention to and keep pushing. So Hold any information you have for us on this one?
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, another top four battle. Chelsea sit in fourth, 47 points. Everton sit in fifth with 46 points, but they've played a game less. So this is almost a six-pointer for us if we want to open up a gap uh, between ourselves and Everton and some of the teams sitting below us. Uh, Our last five results, we've won against Sheffield, won against Newcastle, drawn against Southampton, drawn against United. But the massive win against Liverpool helped us go back into the top four. Uh, On the Everton side of things, they've been a little up and down. That's been their story uh, this season. But they lost against Fulham at home, lost against City at home, won against Liverpool. And that seems to be the case (laughs) for anyone that faces Liverpool. Uh, Won against Southampton and most recently won against West Brom.
0: Yeah, so they seem to be up and down, like you said. But again, Everton is a decent squad with a wonderful manager, Big Carlo himself, King Carlo. So somebody we cannot take for granted. Who do you think our starting 11 will be?
1: I think we stick to our 3 4 2 1 system. And Mendy plays, even though he gave away the penalty <laughs> in the reverse fixture. Espeliqueta, uh, Christensen, Rudiger. I think even if Silva is fit, uh, I don't think we need to rush him back. I think we, we've been doing well. Uh, Reese, James, Kante, Kovacic, and Alonso, I think, comes back. Mount. And I think this player deserves to be playing a little bit more. So I think Pulisic should be starting with Giroud up top.
0: So, again, I think any squad we put out is going to be a strong squad. We've got strength and depth and quality in all positions. But... I think Tuchel is trying to find his preferred 11 as we go towards the final stretch of the season. So Ben Chilwell coming back in, I think is a sign that he may start to get more and more games in a row. So I'm going to rival you a little bit on the Alonso versus Ben Chilwell battle there. Again, no disrespect to Alonzo, the resurgence of Marcos. He's been brilliant. So it'll be interesting to see. Now, up top, I think he's going to persist with Timo Werner just because he's got that energy and that feistiness that we need. No disrespect to Giroud. I love Olivier Giroud. Everybody knows that. So I think he might be reserved for maybe coming off the bench. The big debate that we may need to have is Pulisic versus who I think he may bring in, which is Hakim Ziyech. We've talked a lot about finding his preferred front three so that there's a little bit of cohesion. There's a little bit of chemistry. And I think obviously with Mount starting and Werner potentially coming in, He may want to stick with Hakim Ziyech and see how that plays out. But if it switches to Christian Pulisic, I would be very, very excited. I love Christian Pulisic as well. It's always good to have such a strong squad underneath the Chelsea belt.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, I'm not against the players that you mentioned. I'm just going off of the fact that we've played quite a few games recently um and just with rotation and with the abilities of some of the other players i think uh he may lean towards them but anyone that starts will be giving it their all especially this early in the new manager's brain so it should be a good game
0: yeah absolutely i will not be able to watch it Rahul. so i will be leaning on you my friend to let me know how that goes
1: i will do my best um, <laughs> but just touching on carlo angelotti and thomas tuchel i mean they face each other quite a bit uh if our listeners don't know, or may have forgotten. Ancelotti was actually Bayern Munich manager for about a season. And so in this time, he faced Thomas Tuchel, who was at Dortmund. Uh, apart from that, they faced each other in the Champions League, where Ancelotti was at Napoli and Dortmund was at PSG. And so their record currently stands at two wins each, two draws each, and two losses each.
0: Yeah, and I think they also start to follow each other a little bit as far as the league goes, right? With Carlo Ancelotti managing at Chelsea, and now Tuchel coming in to manage at Chelsea as well.
1: Yeah, so it should be a good game and a tight one, I think. I mean, Everton, apart from that United game, I don't think they can see too many no. goals. And so, with our ability to nick it or not, you know, not score too many goals ourselves uh what do you think would be the score
0: I want to say 2-0 Rahul but I've just seen that Chelsea are not so prolific up front so I'm going to stick with my customary one nail to Chelsea over here
1: I was gonna go for one nil too but uh, <laughs> it could very easily be a nil nil and I think Tuchel will be happy with that because it keeps us ahead in the race and keeps us in and around those spots so Uh, Whatever happens, it should be a good game, a fun game, and hoping we come up with a win. Yeah,
0: absolutely, my friend. All right, let's move on to our next segment, and obviously it's one of our favorite segments for you and I because it is the blast from the past. Now, before we jump into it, and Rahul, I'll give you the reins here in just a second. We have been watching everybody who's been listening to this podcast. We'd love to thank you guys. We've got some analysis, and... We are doing really, really well with listenership in South Africa. So a big, big thank you to all of our South African listeners. Rahul and I have been blessed and lucky to actually have visited South Africa ourselves. And I must say, and Rahul, I'll speak for you here, so I apologize if I do. It is one of the most beautiful places
1: I have ever visited on earth. And
0: I'm sure you concur
1: with that as well. I do. And I remember my trip to Cape Town. And that was like heavy.
0: Absolutely, my friend. Absolutely. So in the spirit of all our South African listeners, and this one is for you guys, Rahul, why don't you take us through who your blast from the past is?
1: Absolutely. So my blast from the past is a player that actually played many seasons for our rivals tomorrow, Everton, and that is Steven Pienaar. A South Africa, a former South African international, who made his name at Everton in the Premier League, but before that he actually was playing in Dortmund in Germany, and so he joined Everton on a season-long loan in the 2007-2008 season, and loved it so much that he decided to say uh, permanently signed a three-year contract in April 2008, and Everton paid Dortmund two million pounds. <laughs> uh he made his debut off the bench for Everton against Wigan Athletic in a 2-1 win uh he scored his first Everton goal in the 2-0 win over Middlesbrough uh he made some standout performances and led the club uh you know that led to a lot of clubs showing interest in him and he was actually named Everton's player of the season in the 2009-2010 season uh in January 2011 he had some interest from two London clubs one of them being Chelsea, wow. and and the other one was Tottenham Hotspur. So Everton accepted a three million bid from both clubs and left it up to Steven Pienaar to decide where he wanted to go. Unfortunately, he decided to go to Tottenham Hotspur, <laughs> uh, and you know just felt that that presented a better opportunity for him. Uh, he joined them and made a bunch of appearances for them, but was. His time was characterized by a few injuries and just not getting a lot of games. Uh, and so in January of 2012, the following year, he returned back to Everton on a six-month loan. Uh, he scored his first goal during this loan spell against Chelsea. Wow, you can't make this up. You can't. Uh, in that summer of 2012, he made his move back to Everton permanent for $4.5 uh, he stayed there until 2016, helping uh, Everton finish fifth in the 13-14 season. And at the end of 2016, at the end of his contract, he left and joined Sunderland on a year-long loan deal. On a year-long deal. Uh, after that, in 2017, he returned back to South Africa, signed a deal with Bidvest Wits. Uh, unfortunately, he was released from the club six months later. And in March of 2018, he retired and called it uh, called it on his club career. Uh, just a few stats from his South Africa days, just playing for the national team. He made his debut for South Africa in a 2-0 win against Turkey in 2002. He played 61 times for them, scored three goals, and actually participated in the 2002 World Cup and the 2010 World Cup, which was actually hosted by South Africa. Uh, In 2012, he retired from international duty as well, and he's currently a coach at Dutch amateur club SV Robin Hood.
0: Wow, what a great story, and I remember so many incredible moments by Steven Pienaar because he was that small frame, quick pace, tricky, brilliant to watch, and unfortunately he scored a couple of goals against us, but... No, what a wonderful career has had, and that's definitely, definitely great. And I hope for all of our South African listeners, that was a treat. But I think I have another treat for you guys here in Benny McCarthy. So for anybody who knows Benny McCarthy, he was the all-time top goal scorer for South Africa. Bafana, Bafana, like Rahul said. He scored a record 31 goals in 80 games for South Africa. Now, Benny McCarthy started his career with local South African clubs in Seven Stars and then went on loan to Cape Town Spurs. I like doing this segment because we get a lot of research done and it gives me some information to share with all our listeners. Cape Town Spurs and Seven Stars merged to become Ajax Cape Town, which became the formal feeder club for Ajax in Holland. And... From here, Ajax actually pinched Benny McCarthy and brought him across to Europe. He was so prolific in South Africa, they just had to bite and bring him across. When he ended up coming to Ajax in Holland, he ended up scoring 20 goals in 36 appearances, even winning the Eredivisie in his first season. So when you first make that big jump across to Europe, it can't have gone better for Benny McCarthy. He was subsequently st- sold to Celta Vigo for six Million euros, a world record fee for a South African footballer. And he held that, by the way. It's not been broken by any other South African footballer. Unfortunately, it was not a match made in heaven, and he was loaned out to Porto. He ended up helping them finish third and into the UEFA Cup as well. But Porto could not afford to keep him that season. So it was a little bit unfortunate. It was something they were both pushing for. So he did return to Celta Vigo and spend most of his season on the bench, which is. Kind of unfortunate, but here's where the story gets a little bit better. In the 2003-2004 season, Porto paid an amazing 7.85 million euros to Celta to secure Benny's signature. Now, for anybody who's followed us and knows about Jose Mourinho and the 2003-2004 season, it ended up being a blinder for Benny McCarthy. He scored 20 goals in 23 appearances in the league and helped Porto win the UEFA Champions League final cementing him as one of Europe's finest strikers. He had a good career with them. He scored 100, sorry, he scored 58 goals in 124 appearances and in 2006 caught the eye of Blackburn who paid 2.5 million to bring him across to the Premier League. He was actually very very good for Blackburn, scoring 52 times in 140 appearances. He finally moved out to West Ham for a couple of seasons, but terminated his contract, moved back to South Africa with Orlando Pirates, and in 2013, he retired at the age of 35. But his legacy was forever cemented as the only South African player to win the Champions League. And that is Benny McCarthy.
1: Big Ben, as (laughs) as, as we used to say when we were younger. I mean, he scored a lot of good goals for Blackburn. I mean, that's my memory of him and a great, great player. And in fact, I think he almost joined us, I believe, when Mourinho came over and wanted to bring a bunch of Porto players over with him. Uh, He did that successfully, I think, with uh, Paulo Ferreira, Ricardo Cavalho, and then Porto decided to say, okay, it's enough. (laughs) Uh, But I think if he had joined us, him along with, Drogba and some of the other strikers we had, that would have been a a good lineup.
0: It would be a good partnership there, Brewing.
1: Absolutely. So uh, that is for our South African listeners. Like Jackie said, I hope you enjoyed those. I hope it brought back some fond memories of these players. Uh, And we look forward to uh, getting some feedback from you guys on this segment. And if you'd like to hear of any other players in the future, please do let us know. So that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chell, so you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, uh, and we're also on Twitter and Instagram. As always, send us your feedback, and we will be back later this week to do an Everton review and a Leeds preview. But until then, stay safe and up the Chell's.